Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God. It contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, it contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. It also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today and ready to study the Bible. Uh, maybe we've got some first-time viewers that just uh, stumbled onto this and wondered, what is Know Your Bible about? Well, it's a religious TV program, but it's different than most religious TV programs. Uh, we don't tell you what we think you need to know. Uh, we let you ask what you'd like to know. Uh, it's a question and answer program. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use those anytime to give us a question. Uh, maybe something you've always wondered about the Bible, a specific verse, a topic, a doctrine. Uh, maybe it's something in your life that you wonder about, a parenting problem or a, a morality problem or a current event that you wonder, what would the Bible say about that? We'll try to find you answers. So that's what we do for the next 30 minutes and uh, use that phone number and a website. Let us know what you'd like to talk about, us to talk about and you direct this program. We'll find some answers for you. I'm Steve Tandy, and two gentlemen help me each week. Toby Levering's here. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Good to see you. And Jeff Martin's back. Morning, Howdy. Steve. Glad you guys are here and studied up and ready to go. Uh, we'll get some questions going in a minute, but we always give our viewers one first. So here's yours for the day. Uh, Paul urged Timothy to come visit him uh, before the multiple choice, before spring, before summer, before fall, or before winter. And uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Excellent little uh, trivia question about Paul and Timothy. And uh, see if you know that answer at the end of the program. Toby, you get to start us off. What's going yes, on? Yes, the question is, are we eternal beings? Did we exist before creation? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of insight into what happened before creation. But it does tell us in many ways that we are uh, eternal beings, that we have a, a spirit made in the image of God and that he created us with a spirit that is, is separate or different from our physical, fleshly, earthly bodies. Um, the so Solomon wrote um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 7, he said, the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So we understand that Human beings, because they're made in God's image, have a spiritual part of them. And uh, the question is, well, okay, did we exist before creation? Well, if you mean before all creation, I don't think so. <laughs> Do you mean before your creation, like before you were born and before your DNA was formed in your mother's womb? Well, there seems to be an idea that... Uh, that you that God saw your unformed substance is what Psalm uh, 119. I'm sorry, I believe it says 119, but it should be Psalm 139, uh, verse 16. Let's look at that verse on the screen. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Okay, we use this scripture 
a week or two ago, but just the idea that we have an unformed substance. There's part of us that is um, beyond just uh, flesh and blood and organs and, and uh, brain and all of that. It's, it's the spirit of us. It's the unformed part. So probably the best way I heard it explained in my thought, thinking, and study on this sub question uh, is someone said, all souls are immortal, but not eternal in the same way that God is. God is without beginning or end. Now, souls are immortal, uh, but they did have a beginning. There was a point at which God created them, uh, and that was, at whatever point that was, uh, certainly surpassed the physical creation. So, uh, souls are immortal, but not eternal. We do have a beginning, uh, and after we die, we continue. So, uh, Good explanation. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, we got one about working here. Viewer says, does a man is to live by the sweat of his brow, does that apply to welfare? Well, not exactly. Uh, the phrase, a man's to live by the sweat of the brow, that's really the contrast between being in Eden and after sin. Uh, in Eden, uh, life was, let's call, pretty, pretty easy. Now, man had to work. He had to tend to the garden. Uh, but it surely wasn't difficult work. It was pleasurable work. It was good for man to work in some way, uh, but it wasn't hard uh, the way we think about working hard. Uh, because Then sin came into the world, and one of the curses was, all right, you've messed the world up, and you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. Uh, there's going to be uh, weeds and thistles and the earth is going to be difficult and uh, you're going to have to work in a different way. So that's what that little phrase about work by the sweat of your brow is. Now, the viewer wonders, does that mean people shouldn't ever get welfare? Should they have to work? Uh, and I agree there's some connections there, but I don't think it's to that verse. Uh, I think it's more to the Christian principle that working is good for us and we're supposed to work. Let's read a verse that says that. Uh, that's a little bit more applicable than the Genesis verse. Let's read Ephesians 4.28. Uh, Paul said to the church in Ephesus, uh, he has been stealing, must steal no longer. And now these were new Christians. They came out of the pagan world and I'm sure some of them had made their living by stealing. He said, he who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work do something useful with his own hands, uh, that he may have something to share with those in need. Okay, there's a pretty good verse that gives us the Christian principle. Uh, Christians are supposed to work, and we're not supposed to just support our families, but we're supposed to make enough that we can also help other people who need help. So that tells us there are some people that need help. There are people in need. There are people who can't work. They're unable to work. And Christians are supposed to help them. Okay. Now, there's a difference, and I think this is what our viewers are getting to. Uh, there's a big difference between being unable to work and being unwilling to work. Uh, and that's where the problem comes in. If somebody is able to work, could get a job, could support themselves, but chooses to take a government handout, uh, and not work, uh, that's a problem. That's disastrous, in fact. That will destroy a society. So the Christian principle of working, sharing with others, tells us that welfare is okay. Uh, we do need to help some people. Uh, but 
to go against the Christian principles of not working even if you're able to, uh, that causes the problems. Uh, Paul was even more direct when he, he wrote uh, to Timothy that uh, uh, it, I told you that if you don't, a man doesn't work, uh, don't let him eat. Uh, don't give him something. If he's willing, to, unwilling to work, uh, if he's able but won't do it, uh, let him get hungry and he'll figure out, well, I better get a job. So uh, that's the Christian principles. I don't think it's tied into the sweat of the brow thing, but I understand what our viewers asking, and hopefully that helps us sort it out just a little bit. All right, uh, Jeff got the, a big question here in the current culture anyway. Oh, yeah, huge <laughs> question. Uh, is the Church of Christ pro-life? So as, as we all know, the issue of abortion is an extremely divisive topic. And we have Christians right now who are doing what I would call mental gymnastics to try and make uh, abortion something that the Bible condones. Uh, but the Bible is extremely clear on the value of life. Uh, and it's also extremely clear on the fact that that value extends into a mother's womb. So let's look at one of the verses that makes that clear. Let's look at Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So based on this verse, God has plans for unborn children. There are plans in their future, and when a pregnancy is terminated, those plans cease. Uh, that's very simple to understand. And if, if, if that doesn't convince you, uh, the Bible tells us from the very beginning in, G, uh, in Genesis that God looked at his creation. He looked at the things he created and he saw that they were good. And it's no different than his creation uh, within the womb. Uh, those lives, that, that creation within the womb are good to God. And because they're good to God, uh, they are extremely valuable and extremely worth existing. Uh, so yes, the Church of Christ, uh, being very much pro-God's creation, uh, is, is very much pro-life. Okay. Thank, thank you, Jeff. And uh, let me just add this. When we get asked about does the Church of Christ believe this and all that, mm -hmm. uh, we don't have a headquarters, we don't have a hierarchy right. that says, we don't have a creed written down that says here's what we believe. Uh, we believe every Christian should be able to figure out what the Bible says. Uh, so when we make an answer like that, we're, we're not the official Church of Christ right. answerers, but uh, certainly Church of Christ believes the Bible. Uh, in general, Christians understand it exactly like Jeff explained it, and uh, it's very, very clear to us that the Bible's pro-life. So we're pro-life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you can find people in any church, probably, that would say, well, I'm not pro-life. Uh, but 
okay, the Bible's yeah. pro-life. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. All right, let me talk about studying the Bible with you. There's, uh, we like answering questions and hope you learn a little bit about the Bible each week, but uh, there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we'll ever get covered, no matter how long we're on TV. So uh, study your Bible for yourself, and we know a lot of people do that already, and a lot of our viewers just haven't got started. Uh, we've got some ways that'll work, some tools that'll help. And here, here's the first one. It's just an eight-lesson series, uh, just a good overview of the Bible. Uh, very non-denominational, very uh, straight Bible study. So uh, we'll help you get started on that. And if you get through it, uh, we'll recognize that with a certificate. And then you can go on to some more studies. Keep right on studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible study tools. If you'd rather do it online and digitally, we can help you with that too. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and you'll get uh, some questions that you answer. Give them a little information about yourself and you'll get set up with some great online Bible studies. So lots of ways to study the Bible with Know Your Bible phone number website on the screen use those any time to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd uh, uh, which course you'd like and we'll get you started on them all right toby's next here yes uh question is uh more of a statement and a question <laughs> since god knows what we will do before we do it we do not have free will right <laughs> okay well i i understand the thinking i can remember in college, um, sitting around with, with uh, my friends one, one night, late in the dorm room, we were having sort of a deep discussion talking about free will and kind of this, the basis of this question. And uh, for some reason, I think I was holding a spoon and I was holding it, kind of like I'm holding this pen. And I said, now, now God knows whether or not I'm going to drop this, this, this uh, pen. And, but yet I have the will to, to either hold on to it or to drop it. That's really mind-blowing to really think that <laughs> I have free will and God's will will happen. God is sovereign. How do we bring those two things together? Uh, theologically, you know, uh, this is the two camps of Calvinism and uh, Ar Ar Arminian, I can never say it, Arminian, <laughs> Arminianism. Uh, the these two ideas of of free will and God's will, and and the answer is yes. <laughs> now, how we bring those things together is a little bit more challenging. Uh, God knows what we will do. He f he has full knowledge, and at the same time, he gives us each and every person the ability to choose whether our will <laughs> will line up with his will, whether we will do his will. So the simple example is uh, in the garden. God created this perfect world for Adam and Eve. It's perfect. He says, there's one tree I want you to not uh, go to, not partake of, the fr fruit of the knowledge, tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And that's, that was his will. And at the same time, he gave Adam and Eve the ability, the will to choose whether or not they would obey God or not. Did God know that what they were going to choose? He did. Was that his will? Was not. Uh, and, and since then, that's been the story of God's will and man's will and how God has brought those two together. And the answer is through Jesus. <laughs> the answer is how he satisfies his will and at the same time gives us free will. 
So we are free to accept or, or reject God's free or God's will. And ultimately, in the final sense, God's will will be done. Um, one other thing that I always think about with this discussion is, is if there's really no free will, then there's truly no sin. Because how can you violate God's will if that was already God's will? So uh, we, and the Bible does say there's sin. So there's got to be a, a choice on our part, an ability to accept or reject what God wants. Um, Proverbs 16.9 says this, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Uh, we have our will. God's going to work his will. Those two things do work together. It's not an either-or situation. It's both and, according to Scripture. Hope that helps. It's a deep subject. <laughs> yep, that's a biggie. All right, viewer wants to know about prayer here. It says, Hannah promised to dedicate her son to God if he would give her a son. Does that mean we can barter with God for things? Well, an interesting take on that old story. Uh, and Hannah did want a son very badly and prayed and prayed and prayed. And, uh, finally did promise God that if he gave her a son, she'd dedicate him to God. And she did. She gave Samuel uh, to the temple and old Eli. All right. So can we barter with God? Well, the answer to that is we could barter with God if God needed anything. You see, barter has got to have two people that need something from each other. Uh, if I don't want Toby's pen or his notebook or whatever he wants to offer me, if I don't have any need for it, he can't barter with me with it. Okay. Uh, that answers the question because God doesn't need anything we have. Let's read a verse that says that very specifically, Acts chapter 17. Uh, this is Paul explaining about who God is, and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Uh, Paul's argument was God made everything. He gives us everything. He doesn't need anything that we have. So if you take away the fact that God might need something from us, then the answer to our viewer's question is no, we can't barter with God. It's impossible to barter with somebody that doesn't need anything. Now, what was Hannah's offer uh, of donating, de dedicating her son and what do some of our promises to God have to do uh, with God answering prayer? Well, it's a sign to God. It's an indication of our heart, the desires of our heart. Let me make an example from human existence of parents. Uh, some of you parents realize that your kids sometimes come to you and say, I want this. And you say, no, you can't have it. And they go away. Uh, you know they didn't really want it that badly. But maybe they come to you sometime and say, I want this so bad, I will clean my room for the rest of my life. I will do this. I'll do anything you want. Uh, and you know that the desire of their heart is pretty serious. Now, you don't need what they're offering you, but that gives you a glimpse into their heart. Now, it's a poor example because God knows our hearts completely. Uh, but when we make an offer like that, when we uh, dedicate, promise to dedicate something or promise to do this or that, we're not bartering with God. 
uh, we're just telling him how serious we are about this. Uh, God knows our heart. He will give us what's best for us if it's within his will. Uh, we can't barter with God in any way. All right, Jeff, you got an interesting one. Yes. I don't think you can answer this one. No, I don't think I can. How did the <laughs> Apostle Paul die? You're exactly right. Uh, the exact details of the Apostle Paul's death are unknown. Uh, and there is definitely no mention of them in the Bible. Uh, there are many who believe that he was beheaded under Emperor Nero under, uh, sorry, in Rome. And it is universally, historically accepted that he was martyred for the cause of Christ. Uh, if you look in Romans 15, you can see that Paul plans uh, to meet with the body of believers in Rome. So uh, it could be that these chapters were some of the last that, that, he, that were written before his death. Uh, but again, simply put, we don't know the specifics, uh, just that he was martyred at some point uh, for the cause of Christ. All right. Good non-answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take just a minute and uh, invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program is produced and uh, sponsored by Churches of Christ, and so we like to mention some of our supporters each week. Here's a couple of, uh, of around the uh, west of Wichita, Kansas area. We broadcast from Wichita, but we've got churches all over the country that support us. And Hutchinson, Kansas, the Eastwood Church of Christ has been a longtime supporter of Know Your Bible and the church in St. John also. Uh, 600 North Pearl are a great group of Christians in both of those places that uh, believe in this program and help us stay on the air, and we appreciate them. Uh, go to Eastwood and Wayne DeWimps, the preacher there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him preach the gospel. Lots of good folks in both congregations. Uh, if you live in one of those areas, uh, drop in and visit them, or maybe you know a member of one of those churches. Tell them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible. You appreciate their sponsorship, and uh, whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. That you can drop in and uh, check them out, and you'll find folks that uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby. Yep. Got, got a question, uh, sort of an ethical question. If God says, do not kill, how do we defend ourselves and family if it requires deadly force? All right, uh, the first thing we need to understand is uh, the, the idea of killing is different from the idea of murder. And so a lot of uh, uh, people, when they think uh, Ten Commandments, thou shall not kill, the correct translation of that word is actually thou shall not murder. And so there's a difference uh, between killing, which is something maybe uh, people in the armed services would have to do, some people in law enforcement would have to do, uh, and murder which is uh, taking of, of innocent life. Um, uh, Exodus chapter 20, thir verse 13 is where this is found in the Ten Commandments. Uh, very simply, you shall not murder. Uh, now, two chapters later, uh, there is this description, and this won't be on the screen, but it's in Exodus 22, verse 13. It says, if a thief is found breaking in, and struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun is risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, he shall be, he, uh, then he shall be sold for his theft. Well, the idea here is that distinguishing between killing and, and murder. Uh, the, the, the thief breaking in in the middle of the night uh, was killed 
but he was not murdered. See the difference? And, and the law is pretty clear on the difference. Uh, the person was protecting their family and defending innocent life. Uh, there were, there were um, uh, provisions in the law that people, for certain sins, the penalty was death. And there were people who had to enact that. They didn't murder that person. They killed them. And so that's the, the difference. We think about it that way. No, I don't I think if you're in the hypothetical that you give a person is uh, defending yourself, your life, uh, defending your, your innocent family's life, uh, and in doing so you kill them, uh, you've not murdered them, and that's different. So deadly force is not something uh, that is... Uh, uh, a person couldn't do. Now, I understand there are people of certain conscience who would identify as pacifists and say, well, I'm just, I would never end an innocent human life, and I understand that, uh, and I wouldn't ask you to violate your conscience. Uh, but if you are you know, in that situation, uh, you should know from a biblical standpoint, it doesn't make a difference between killing and murdering. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 19, uh, gives us uh, an idea on just personal day-to-day -day living. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Uh, it's God's desire that we live peaceably, uh, that we, that we uh, do what's right. But Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So some people read that, and they say, I could never avenge, even if they were threatening me or my family. Okay, well, that's, that's your conscience decision, uh, but you need to understand that there is a distinction between killing and murdering and uh, the, the, the Bible treats those two things differently. Jesus said to his own disciples, if you don't have a sword, uh, this is Luke 22:36, sell your cloak and buy one. And so he understood uh, that there was going to be times when they might need to defend themselves. So the uh, Bible's okay with self-defense. People have to think about it, but there's a difference between killing and murder. I hope that uh, helps you on your ethical question. All right. If you ever want to know about casting lots, is casting lots in the Bible considered gambling? And my answer to that is very clear, yes and no. <laughs> uh, yes, it is sometimes, but no, it's not sometimes. Uh, where it is, is let's read this in Matthew 27. Uh, it says when they crucified him, it's Jesus' crucifixion, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. All right, so there are the soldiers. Jesus had a garment that was woven in one piece, probably a little valuable in that day, uh, and they cast lots for it. They gambled for it to see who got it. So, yes, casting lots there was gambling. We don't know exactly what lots were like, kind of like throwing dice or something like that. Uh, so, yes, it was gambling there. But we also read about casting lots uh, to get a decision from God in certain instances. And God used to do that. Uh, back in the Old Testament, the high priest had a, two things in his vest, the Urim and the Thummim, that somehow gave God's answer. Uh, some people think it was a black and a white uh, stick or something. But So casting lots was used to get God's input sometimes where it was not gambling. All right, let's answer our trivia question for the day. Paul urged Timothy to come visit him before.
spring, summer, fall, or winter. You get four options, and the obvious one was winter. Get there before winter. Second Timothy 4.21, where Paul wrote that to Timothy. He wanted a visit. We're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week with more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.